Hey, welcome back to Giovanni Andreoli's Movies and More, where I talk about movies and more. You guys think I should change that intro? You know, I do it every week, and sometimes I feel a little more iffy about it than others. Like, sometimes I'm like, well, how else am I going to open the show? But then other times I'm like, there's got to be a better way than that. Listen up. <clears throat> this episode is in the future of the past, if that makes any sense. Uh, it doesn't. Now, that's probably the wrong way to phrase that. But I posted on uh, Movies and More Pod, the Instagram account, yesterday. I mean, you would have seen it if you were following it. You should probably go follow it, like, right now. But uh, I posted a little, like, teaser for this episode. And it was, like, this today's episode or something like that. And then uh, an episode never came out, which was probably, like, what? I mean, if you pay that close attention to my Instagram activity, which I doubt you do. But if you do, that's probably, you know, kind of weird. But uh, I ended up not having time, you know? Sometimes life just gets in the way. Sometimes stuff just comes up. And, uh, you know, you got work the next day. So it's like, uh, probably should just pack it in for the night. So that's what I did. But uh, there's going to be an episode. Well, obviously there's an episode today because you're listening to it. All right, let's get into it. Let's jump into it right now. I'm I'm so ready. But uh, before I do, <laughs> you thought I was going to jump right in. How, do you know me? It's been nine episodes of this podcast. It's been way more than nine hours. Come on. You really think I'm going to jump into the topic of the episode right away? Ugh. Sometimes I feel like the anticipation is the best part. Uh, anyway, I was originally planning to do a bit of story time on this episode for both a trip to Philly and a trip to New York for pretty similar related reasons. Uh, I ended up not going to New York. We had a funeral to go to that day that didn't um, wasn't officially scheduled until a couple of days before we were going to leave. So we didn't end up going to New York, uh, but fear not. If everything goes according to plan, I'm still going to meet BKV pretty soon. Uh, I think it's October that Baltimore Comic Con is going on, uh, and we found the perfect day that we could go do a meet and greet, go down, uh, probably like eat lunch or something, and then come back home. So, uh, I mean, I don't want to tease that too far in advance, but hopefully... We'll still get to meet him and, and uh, get some stuff signed, you know. have a pretty cool story for you guys. But unfortunately, that's not today. However, like I said before, I did still hit up Philly. We went to the Marvel exhibit, and I'm ready to talk about it. Oh, I feel like I didn't really take a breath there in that whole pre-roll. But uh, let's, let's take a breath. Let's take a little breather and uh, come back ready, refreshed. Time to talk about uh, the Franklin Institute's Marvel exhibit. Dude, when you walk up to the Marvel exhibit, right, it's got its own special thing. It's like one of the top floors of the building, right? And when you're walking up the ramps, you're seeing posters for all the exhibits that they've done in the past. And I'm like, holy shoot, the Lego exhibit? That was here? I guess I never realized that, but I went to the Lego exhibit when it was in... Uh, and that was awesome. I vaguely remember that, but I do remember it being awesome. That's probably the big memory. Um, but like, wow, surprisingly, I mean, a lot of cool stuff goes on in Philly. And like, a lot of cool, kind of weird exhibits come to the Franklin Institute. I think 
because it's not a very popular or very famous city for anything, aside from all this stuff happened in your history textbooks. Like, it's not like it's in a lot of movies, or it's the subject of a lot of books or media in any way, unlike places like New York or LA or Chicago, you know. It almost seems like nothing really goes on there, it's just kind of another dot on the map, but uh, no. A lot of really cool kind of off-kilter stuff goes on there. They have a lot of cool stuff come and go from Philly, so yeah, man, like, go down to Philly. It's just awesome. It's electric. I love being there. Oh, I love it so much. And quick plug for some vegan restaurants. Philly's got killer vegan restaurants. Now, I know that there's a stigma against vegan stuff, but seriously, don't knock it until you try it, okay? It's really, really good. And I'm not a hardcore vegan, but some of the stuff that they can cook up in these places... Whew, knock your socks off, at least in my opinion. Like I said, though, don't knock it till you try it. And uh, I would highly recommend Hip City Veg. It's really small, so if you if you go in there, um, intend on trying to avoid being claustrophobic because there's going to be a lot of people and not a lot of space, but it is awesome. The prices are a little high, so be prepared for that too, but the food is totally worth it. Best chicken disco ranch burger I've ever had in my entire life, and that's a fact you can take to the bank. Anyway, that's not what this is about. That's just some pretty cool Philly stuff. I've heard people like when I do story time, so, you know, trying to add a little background knowledge, a little more about the trip, you know, theater of the mind and all that. All right, so, uh, what are you waiting for? Of course the exhibit was awesome. It was amazing. It was surprisingly in-depth. It kind of goes from the conception of Marvel, but not even like Marvel as we know it, like um, old Fantastic Four but even farther back than that, like um, like Human Torch stuff, like that, the pulpy sort of superhero light kind of thing that they used to have going on back when it was like timely and back before Stan Lee kind of took over and transformed the medium through Marvel. Uh, that was really interesting to see. They had some first prints of a lot of uh, really important comics. They go through the history of the Comics Code Authority and then how um, all the movies started to become things, and they go through the Marvel method of making comics, and they have a lot of concept art and costumes there, and original prints of important comics, and they've got uh, they've got inked pages before they were even colored, and it was so trippy because some of those comics I own, and I could go get them if I wanted to, and this here is the board that they were originally drawn and inked on, and that is really really cool to see because I'm like oh I have that I own that I have since I was a little kid my dad has that issue and and he gave it to me and now like that was it before it ever got into my hands and that is crazy because you know it's like been almost 20 years since those comics came out and that's not even like the furthest back they go obviously I don't own a lot of the comics that came out when you know, like, 50s and 60s, but, like, man, it was really cool to see that. However, I don't think that was my favorite part of the exhibit. I loved, more than how in-depth it went, more than all the deep cuts, more than, like, this whole story of Marvel, more than the comics even themselves, I loved seeing the costumes. Now, don't go into this exhibit if you're planning on going with exorbitant, um, like, expectations about the com or sorry, not the comics, the costumes, because there there aren't, like, all of them, they're not all assembled in, like, you know, the Avengers, like, 
they're kind of all disparate and they're spread out throughout the exhibit, which keeps it really interesting. I think that's the right way to do it. But they had um, they had a lot of really cool stuff. They had elements of some some of the costumes, but not like the full things. So, uh, you know, that was really cool to see. Like they had Vulture's helmet and Green Goblin's helmet and uh, Goblin Bomb, but they didn't have the full suits for either of them. However, they did have the Spider-Man Homecoming, like the Stark suit, um, not the pajama suit, but like the first one he gets, the one he gets in Civil War. They had that suit. That was really cool to see, and that was where I first realized that one of my favorite parts about this exhibit is that you would imagine that coming from a big Hollywood movie set, these costumes are immaculately preserved. Like, presumably there's tons of copies of them, and like, they do a lot of work, to make sure that they look the best they possibly can every time they're on screen, right? Well, I wouldn't say totally wrong. However, you can still sort of see some of the wear and tear on these costumes, which was really, really interesting to me because I was going and expecting that these would be, like, larger than life. Like, you know, they're coming all the way from, like, wherever they were designed to then where they were being shot, um, and then, like, you know, these were worn by the actors. This was probably stuff that was taken with a lot of care. And certainly they were, but I wasn't to the degree that I was expecting. So you can actually see some of the wear. You can see some of, like, some threads are starting to pull and, like, some of the fabric's starting to fade and, like, the patterns that have been sewn into it, some of it's starting to, to like, rub off in a, in a few places. And, like, you can see that these have been lived in and, like that these are real costumes that could, you know, they make the world feel more real. Uh, like, Kingpin's shoes, uh, they're scuffed. Like, you know, they're not perfectly polished. Like, that was really, really cool and eye-opening because it's certainly not how I would have expected all this to look. And, I mean, it's hard to really gauge because whatever you see on screen is so different from what it actually looks like in person. Uh, I mean, you know that based on if you follow, like, production a lot, if you see set photos a lot of times, it's like, what are they doing? That looks horrible. But then in the movie, and in motion, it looks a lot different, and hopefully a lot better. But a lot of times now, they, they paint over suits with CG, or they make some sort of other digital altercation to it. So it looks, you know perfectly the way they wanted to but honestly I'd prefer the more tactile lived in like I said kind of feel to these because it was really cool and that was definitely my favorite part of the exhibit it was so cool to see like some of the little scratches on the Iron Man suits or like I said some of the frayed um some of the frayed and faded fabric like I mean that was all so cool and like really you know it brings these larger-than-life icons kind of down-to-earth, and that was really, really cool to see. Now, most of what I knew about these, so this is still costume-related, but uh, it's a little different. I'm kind of shifting topics a bit. Uh, most of what I knew of what was there was based on posts. Uh, some of my, my friends in younger grades posted a lot of pictures. They went on a like class trip down to Philly to see all this stuff, and... Uh, they, you know, they actually changed the field trip from what they usually do. They usually go down to D.C., see all the monuments. That's what I did. The exhibit comes to Philly. I guess they were like, hey, you know what? This isn't educational, but at least the kids will actually be interested in this. So they took them all down and, and they did that exhibit, which I think is a pretty baller move, not going to lie. 
but they had posted like the big stuff, like Spider-Man, Iron Man, um, Captain America, Star-Lord, that kind of thing. But not a one person posted a picture of the Daredevil suit. They have the Daredevil suit. That was so cool to see. I was hoping it was there. Uh, and it isn't, it doesn't show up until pretty late in the exhibit, but it's there. Uh, and that was awesome. And they had his cane and his glasses and the Nelson and Murdoch plaque. Like I said, they had Kingpin's, Kingpin suit from the season finale of, uh, of season three of Daredevil, the white one. Uh, they had Kilgrave suit from Jessica Jones. They had Luke Cage's, like, uh, shot up jacket, like, with all the bullet holes all that stuff is really cool to see because, you know, Netflix shows don't really get a lot of representation, especially when it comes to the Marvel movies, and they're not, you know, as popular as they were when they first started, so I kind of assumed that this would be more movie-centric and probably wouldn't uh, have anything about that, but they did, and that was really cool, and like I said, uh, it goes really deep into the Marvel Universe. I mean, when you're in that part of the exhibit, you're headed towards, like, small things about, like, Hulkling and stature and, like, all the different alien races, like the Kree and the Skrull, but not even that. Like, it goes through all the big branches and, like, explains the Inhumans and the X-Men and Miss Marvel and, like, Iron Fist, Misty Knight, like, the Daughters of the Dragon, like, all that stuff. And, you know, that's that's somewhat in the Netflix shows, but, like, a lot of people don't watch those. So it was really surprising to me that it goes that in-depth. And it was awesome to see, like, how far they went into this. Like, it's a really comprehensive view of the Marvel Universe. So, uh, yeah, like, 10 out of 10 recommendation. I would, I would 100% say definitely, if you have the chance, I'd... Uh, so worth seeing. It's really, really cool and eye-opening, and I loved it. If you are a big Marvel fan, I would warn you, you're probably not going to learn anything. It's more going to be about the experience of seeing all this stuff, like, curated into one big, um, exhibit. Uh, like, I, a lot of this stuff I already knew, and it was stuff that, you know, I probably could have told you if you asked me. So don't go in expecting to be like, oh, whoa, I didn't know that about this. This is so cool. Because you probably won't. If you know Marvel's story, if you know about the characters, like, you'll pretty much know most of the stuff that's featured. However, it's still really, really cool to see, and it's awesome. One of my favorite parts was how many questions my mom asked me about it. Oh, that was so cool. I I loved, um, I loved, like, you know, I love getting those questions. I love being able to, to talk to my mom about, you know, she was somewhat interested in in some of this stuff that usually she's not, and that's really cool. Uh, to You know, if it's making other people interested in it, then I think it's really doing its job, so that was awesome. Only complaint, I know I just want to sneak this in right at the end. Uh, it says at one point in one of the exhibits about Ant-Man that there were only two Ant-Man in the comics, and that's not true, but whatever. It's not really a big deal. They only mention uh, Hank Pym and uh, uh, Scott, whatever the hell. Uh, but they they don't say anything about Eric O'Grady, which I was like, mm, okay, I mean, whatever. It doesn't really matter. No one else is going to notice. But that's like my one little nitpick with the whole thing. But I mean, that's so minor. 
uh, I wouldn't even say to take it into consideration. So, yeah, definitely go see. Highly recommend. Loved it. And I love Philly. All right. I'm going to wait till 16 minutes. Okay, 16 minutes. And we are going to transition to Hobbs and Shaw. Fast and Furious Presents. This is a little spinoff movie featuring The Rock and Jason Statham as their characters from the Fast franchise. Um, quick opinions on Fast franchise. I mean... You know, it started out, like, pretty okay. Around 5, it starts to get great. And then around, like, 6 and 7, when they really start embracing, like, this is absolutely ridiculous, and we kind of are just going to own it. Uh, I think that's really, really cool. And uh, that that's sort of where it found its stride for me. Like, that's one of the first movies I recall, like, seeing uh, when I was a little younger and, like, understanding, oh... You don't have to take this seriously. Like, this isn't meant to be taken seriously. Because, you know, even stuff that, like, now you look back on and realize, oh, wow, that was really stupid. And it's clear that that wasn't meant to be, like, you know, a film for intellectual filmgoers or whatever, like Transformers or something. When you're a kid and you're watching those movies, it's still like, oh, this is a movie. So I need to take it seriously. But I think Fast and the Furious, as they progressed, I started to be like, Okay, I think I see what they're doing here. They're just upping the ante and trying to top the ridiculousness of the last one. And that was really entertaining. So, Hobbs and Shaw, I'm going in not exactly expecting a very well-written uh, or well-constructed like masterpiece of cinema. I was sort of just expecting dumb escapism popcorn flick. And you know what? That's exactly what it is. I am a little bit like hesitant to say, like rush out to see it in the theater. This is definitely a Redbox movie for me. Uh, it's not worth taking a trip out to see, but, I mean, if it is your type of movie, and, you know, you've seen all the other Fast movies, it's exactly what you're expecting it to be, but there are just a few things that didn't sit right with me about it that I would say it's not necessarily worth, uh, worth rushing to see, maybe, maybe even waiting for, like, a matinee, even that's a good way to watch this movie, but, but yeah, it is fun, it is dumb, uh, it is definitely ridiculous, and it's pretty funny in parts, so yeah, that's pretty awesome. So that's my high-level non-spoiler thoughts on this movie. Now I'm going to transition into spoilers, because uh, I there's some, you know, the, the plot is pretty standard, but, uh, but there's some celebrity cameos that I think are really interesting that I didn't get spoiled for me, so I think... That's pretty cool, and I would like to preserve, so, yeah. Uh, here we go. Spoilers. Okay, so, Ryan Reynolds and John Delaney and Kevin Hart are all in this movie, and uh, not necessarily John Delaney, but Kevin Hart and Ryan Reynolds are definite highlights. Oh my god, when Ryan Reynolds walked into that diner, I was like, what? Ryan Reynolds is in this movie? And, like, a few other people around me were like, like, also, like, what? Like, they didn't say anything about that, and I applaud them for that, because I think that definitely would have made me want to go see it more, but, like, not having the surprise ruined by a trailer or a poster, oh my god, that made it so much better. Uh, Kevin Hart was a little less of, like, a, you know, like, it's not anything more than just like, oh, hey, uh, a celebrity I recognize, that's cool, but, but yeah, he was a little less of like a, 
Ooh. Because, you know, it's Ryan Reynolds. Of course, he's going to be more of a draw than Kevin Hart. I mean, that's just a personal opinion. I know that's certainly not true for my parents, but in my, you know, in my experience, I think Ryan Reynolds is definitely a lot, uh, a lot funnier. Uh, so yeah, and his scene definitely made me laugh a lot. The only thing I don't like about these is that they are very uh, drawn out. Like, I mean, they're like five minutes too long. It sort of should be a thing that like you get in, you get out, and then it's over. But I, I don't know. I don't think that it necessarily is. Uh, obviously they they wanted to get their their money's worth for getting these guys out here to to be in this movie. But like, oh no, it still didn't distract me from the fact that like oh my god we get it he's a, an air marshal and he's trying to be cool but like he's not like he, he just cut all right it's okay i get it and the scene is sort of built around that but like the follow-up scenes for both of them i think kevin hart's was done a little better i think ryan reynolds was done a little worse his like post-credit scene type of thing that was really weird and i don't know exactly what they were doing with that uh, but, uh, Kevin Hart's follow-up scene I thought was actually funnier than the scene that he first popped up in, and I liked that, you know, right before it started to get annoying, throw the phone out the window. Like, that was, that was pretty fun. That was a good button on that scene, but, yeah, that was, like, I mean, it sucks to say, but that was definitely the highlight of the movie. Ryan Reynolds sitting there with his, like, tie over his shoulder and his shirt open, and, like, he's got the same tattoo as The Rock. That was, like, the the single part of the movie that made me laugh the absolute hardest. Like, I couldn't contain myself. I'm just, like, you know, the chair's shaking, and I'm, like, trying to keep it down, but I'm like, what? This is ridiculous. Uh, I love Ryan Reynolds' humor. Like, that self-deprecation and, like, the, like, the kind of, like, semi-annoying, but, like, really witty snark that he's got going on is something I strive to achieve and just can't pull off as well. But yeah, man, I, I love him. Uh, but then other than that, I think the movie was, was pretty standard. You know, it was, like you said, it's whatever you're expecting. It's that, especially the plot. Uh, I don't like him. That's good, son. I don't like you either. And I'm about to whoop your ass so hard you're gonna have to brush your teeth with, uh, like, whatever. I don't know. Some insert stupid rock pun here. But, like, but, yeah. And then it's like, oh, and, uh, bad guy. And, uh, cars, boom, boom, blam. You know, that kind of thing. It's, it's not anything, uh, anything crazy or complex. But, uh, but that's okay. That's not really what I went into expect. The only problem I think I had was that even by that standard, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, basically, Idris Elba's deal is, like, he's the next step in human evolution, but, like, he's just got some robot enhancements, which, okay, bro, like, cool story, but, I mean, we have that now. That's not really, that's not really a flex. I mean, he's got, like, a heads-up display, so he's, like, basically Midnighter crossed with, like, Captain America, I guess, because he's not, like, indestructible, but... He's, you know, he's he's super strong, and he can take a lot of hits, and then, uh, in case you don't know who Midnighter is, uh, he is a character from DC Comics who was, uh, or, or who is able to, like, predict your attack before it happens or something, and, like, analyze the probability, and then he knows how to, you know, exactly defend against it, so it's basically that kind of thing. Um... But yeah, that was, I don't know, that was weird. Also, I think 
Idris Elba made a lot of really weird choices with the character. Like, sometimes he's, like, this super weird, like, zealot of this mysterious technology. But then, like, at the same time, sometimes he's just, like, this kind of weird, quirky dude. Like, he's cracking jokes. Or, um, there's a part where he, like, runs through a big uh, big bus. I th- that's what those are called, right? Like, one of the double-decker buses in London. And uh, he, he, like, runs through it with his motorcycle. And then Hobbs and Shaw still escape. And he, he like, cuts back to him. And it's, like, this weird kind of upward-sweeping, like, um, Bruckheimer shot. Where, like, it sweeps up on him. And he rips the helmet off. And he's like, And then he goes, You want a war? You got one. And I'm like, what the heck was that? Why did he do like and I can't even replicate the yell, but it was just so silly. Like I was like, what? It was not a villain yell. It was like a comedic sidekick yell. It was really weird. But uh but yeah, I mean he was okay. His bike was weird. Like his whole deal was weird. His plan, like I said, it didn't it didn't make sense like at all. So it's a virus that'll kill the entire world. That's what all the protagonists say, but then when he, when he talks about it, he's like only the strong will survive. It's natural evolution or whatever. But, like, that doesn't really seem like that's what it was intended for. And it would even make more sense if, you know, that was what it was intended for. And then they thought it was, you know, it was something different. And then he steps in and, you know, they learn it's, like, it's got ulterior motives. But it didn't really seem like it was. It was kind of unclear. And then he had a whole team. And there's, like, a mysterious boss that's never revealed. I... I didn't, I mean, I have a few guesses as to who it is, but who really cares? It's probably a new character or something. I don't, I don't know. Um, but I'm not really sure. Like, it's unclear where his whole team and laboratory came from. And I don't really understand why anyone's working for him. I mean, he's not getting anyone any money, so it's just kind of a bad job. Uh, I don't know. That whole part of the movie was definitely my least favorite aspect. Uh, aside from the celebrity cameos, my favorite aspect of the movie was actually surprisingly not The Rock and Jason Statham's banter. I loved uh, Shaw's sister. I don't remember her name, which I probably should have just done that research, but I didn't really feel like it, so we're going to call her the sister. Uh, Or how about badass British blonde chick, BBB? See, oh my god, never mind, hold on. So, let's, let's just do badass British... Yeah, there we go. Perfect. BBC. Uh, so, I'm so sorry. That's probably highly offensive. But BBC was, like, the best character in this movie. She was definitely the most interesting. Uh, her opening scene was really good. And one of the only well-shot moments of action, I think, in this movie was when she... There's that tracking shot. Like, it's, like, unbroken at first. And there's a cut. And then it's unbroken again. Where she's running and jumping between the, like, the freight... Um, carriers or whatever in uh, in Idris Elba's lair. That was really cool. I think that was like the best single moment of action in this movie. I think some of the comedic action was pretty good. Like that scene when they're breaking into the facility and like the rock punches that one guy once and he goes down and then, you know, Jason Statham keeps getting the wrong face and like the rock's doing push-ups. Like that made me laugh. But, um, but I think like, all the serious action, like, the end, where, uh, you know, the battle on Samoa, 
or uh, a lot of the, the the action leading up to that, I think it was all really poorly shot, which I was surprised because uh, the director, David Leach, is involved with uh, John Wick, and he directed Deadpool 2, and I was... Oh, and Atomic Blonde, which are all really, really great action movies. And I think it was jarring to me that most of the action, for me, it was just like a lot of really quick cuts, like they hardly ever lasted for more than like two to three seconds and you know a lot of them unnecessary or un yeah unnecessarily like overused that kind of thing which is like a common trend in action movies now but it was i don't know it was weird how often it it happened in this movie but that's just i mean that's sort of a personal preference i'm definitely more on board for an unbroken tracking shot than i am for Cut, 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 shaky cam, bah, like, that, I don't know, I'm not really up for that, but, and I probably won't bother most people, but it definitely bothered me, especially towards the end of the movie, uh, like I said, though, or I don't know if I said this, but I, I think the, a lot of the best parts of this movie are also missed opportunities. So I actually thought it was a really interesting setup where by injecting herself with this virus, regardless of what it does, it's certainly dangerous, which makes her, by extension, the most dangerous woman on earth. And I thought that's a really interesting decision. And obviously a lot of parties are going to be after this, whether to keep it out of wrong hands or to take it and use it as leverage. That is really interesting, and they keep making offhand references to, like, MI6 and the FBI and uh, Idris Elba, they're all after us or whatever, and I'm like, I mean, you say that, but we never see that. MI6 is never really after them. There's one scene where they break into her apartment, but, like, aside from that, they might as well not exist in the movie, and I think it would have been way more interesting if... Not only are they on the run from the villain, but they're also on the run from all these people who think that she uh, is a bad guy and then that Hobbs and Shaw are also bad guys because they're framed for this crime, but it might as well not matter because, I mean, they never clear their name, but they sort of just go back to living their lives like they did in the beginning of the movie. So I think that was really weird. Uh, And yeah it's just like sort of a missed opportunity that i think they could have done a lot more with as everyone chasing after this girl and they kind of got to protect her and she's got to protect herself because she is really badass and she can fight really well and i think she's really like charismatic and really cool and definitely my favorite part of the movie so i think it would have been more interesting if the plot revolved around her in a more interesting uh, and unique way but and then another i think missed opportunity was in the the end battle in Samoa. I mean, I understand what it was going for, this kind of theme of of family, like, which is sort of half-assed in most of the movies, but I think in here at least it rings a little more true. Uh, but I don't know. I, I think it was really cool that it's like they have to defend the island with the island. And a, some of it is actually legitimately creative, but I just think that the way it's shot, like, it's so hard to see because it's covered in smoke and, like, parts of it are at night. And there's so many cuts that it seems, like, it's hard to tell from moment to moment what's actually happening. And there's, like, a really weird moment that stuck out to me, like, a sore thumb where, uh, back to back, The Rock and I think his brother, one of his cousins, someone, like, close in his family, they are, they're both, like, 
back to back and there's a villain on either side and they both raise their weapons at the same time and it's like an overhead shot of them raising the weapons but then you cut to the rock throwing the weapon then you cut to the guy getting hit with it then you cut to the the guy he's back to back with throwing the weapon then you cut to his guy getting hit with it i don't understand why you wouldn't just stay on the same shot because that delay in time albeit a couple seconds it makes it look like okay i'll throw mine and you'll fall down okay now it's your turn you throw his and, and he'll fall down like it's just like it kind of ruins the pacing of that moment and it would have been way more interesting if you just stayed on the overhead shot you see them both go down and then like turn around and like my man or whatever i don't know like that kind of stuff where it just seemed like you know kind of difficult to tell and like oddly paced everything that was going on but but yeah all in all i think it it, it wrapped up really well though i was interesting you know the, the whole theme of family well it's i mean it's sort of like the the family you find in the other movies and i'm not gonna talk about it like it's any deep theme it's you know, I mean, those movies are the essence of theme stated because everything is about family. But, like, this was a little more, you know, a little more true where it's, like, families can kind of grow apart and come back together. And, you know, sometimes you bring problems into people's life, but they're they're willing to, to go with you to help, you know, solve them because, you know, they legitimately care about you. And it's, you know, like I said, it's nothing avant-garde, but... I mean, there is at least setup for it with the family tree in the diner and then, you know, her actually meeting her family at the end. Like, these characters actually do go through arcs, whereas, you know, like, Vin Diesel's not changing. Like, I mean, despite the fact that they never mention the sister until this movie mysteriously and don't mention the brother, which is kind of weird, uh, at least, you know, at the beginning of the movie, he's hesitant to to bring, you know, meet his sister, reach out to her again. And even though it doesn't totally explain why, uh, you know, it's at least, you know, it's an arc. Something's attempted, at least. It, you know, like I said, it doesn't pay off, like, like the best written thing in the world, but I think they actually are going for something in a way that some of the other movies didn't. So while it might seem like I've been overall negative, I think it's net positive because... It is trying something, and while I don't think the action is is particularly great, and I know I touched on a specific moment of odd pacing, but I think the movie as a whole, you really feel that two hours and 17 minutes. Like I said, some of the jokes are drawn out way past, you know, their optimum, like, like funniness. Uh, I don't know. And, and definitely some of the action scenes can get pretty overblown. And you you do really feel that this is a relatively long movie, uh, in a way you don't with some movies that are longer even but better paced. I think you know some of the some of the jokes are legitimately funny. Some of the action sequences are legitimately creative, and uh, I think this was it's one of the better Fast and Furious movies definitely. But like I said, I'm not gonna talk about it like it's anything more than what it is. It's a dumb popcorn movie, but I'm giving it props for being just a little bit more, just a teeny bit, you know, like one degree above some of its contemporaries. So overall, net positive. Maybe don't run out to the theater, but it's definitely worth a watch at some point. Now we're going to shift from uh, kind of a more ridiculous movie to uh, a much more interesting, thought-provoking, and I would definitely say funnier uh 
movie, we're going to talk about Groundhog Day. It just hit Netflix, as did the whole Rocky series, so I would say maybe expect at least a little bit about that pretty soon. Uh, I'm not going to talk about this for too long, because I only got about 10 more minutes, and I have a few more things I'd like to, to speak about. But, man, this movie was really great, and probably does deserve its own episode. Uh, but, but yeah, I was surprised. I knew it was a classic, but I didn't necessarily know why. I mean, I'd never seen it before. But, but yeah, a lot of the, the morality that's dealt with and the, the jokes uh, and the performances, all this stuff was really, really well done. And this is, a, this is a, a certainly a shorter movie than Hobbs and Shaw, but I would say much more expansive. I mean, it covers a much greater amount of time. But the pacing in this movie is certainly a great example of how to do pacing right. It's it's fast-paced without being, like, too quick for the type of movie that it is. But it's not so slow as to be boring, because a premise like this certainly could be. They keep it fresh, and they keep the jokes unique and original uh, throughout the movie. And they certainly, like, seem to build on one another. You never really regress. You keep progressing, which I think makes everything... All the situations feel mountingly more hopeless, but also more funny, and I think that's really well constructed in terms of like a purely structural standpoint. Uh, I yeah, man, I think this movie is it's really really well done, and I mean just if we could step back and talk about the jokes, uh, when he goes down and takes that toaster up to the bathroom, and then you just see him put the the toast down and. It cuts. That made me laugh so hard. Uh, I think the the only two things that made me laugh harder in the movie were okay, maybe three things. When he drives over the 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 cliff into like that ravine, and the truck gets smashed, and then his like assistant guy is like, "Oh, he might be okay," and then the whole truck like explodes into an inferno, and he goes, "Uh, well, probably not." I was like. Oh man, I was dying. And then um oh man. I love the scene where he's trying to replicate that perfect night and they're out building the snowman and then the kids start, you know, throwing snowballs at him and he's like, "Oh man, I love kids. I wish my own kids would hit me like that. Are any of you up for adoption?" <laughs> oh my god, that made me laugh so hard. Me and my friend were like, "Did he just say that?" But yeah, he did, and it's hilarious. And then I think my biggest laugh of the movie, and this was so simple, is just the way that waiter drops the tray when he's like, and a waiter's about to drop a tray in five, four, three, two, one, and you just cut to the waiter and it's just like the like the slightest, most lackadaisical, like the tray falls off that table. That was, oh my God, perfect comic timing. I love that part. Uh, you You want to talk about something else I loved? Uh, I mean, I love this whole movie. I really don't have any complaints. I think it's really well written. It's really funny. The performances are great. And a lot of the topics it brings up are interesting. But these are a little more superficial things. Uh, I love that the ending is never explained. There is, or, or not necessarily even the ending, like, but how he gets stuck in this loop. It's not really a big question throughout the movie. How to break it is, kind of, but... It's not like the narrative thrust is like, how did this happen? Uh, that is really, really cool. I think that answers are certainly more satisfying than questions in this case. And I think it's really cool that it's just sort of this weird event and you just kind of got to take the leap with the movie. 
that's really good, and I wish more movies would do that. You know what else I wish more movies would do? Was give Pennsylvania some freaking love. Dude, we get so many shout-outs to places in Pennsylvania in here. I mean, specifically and predominantly Punxsutawney. But the uh, movie starts in Pittsburgh. They There's an offhand mentioned Altoona. I think there might be one smaller town. But uh, uh, this like these places that are referenced in this movie... Places I've been to, places I live really near, and that does not happen often. I mean, I certainly don't live far from New York, uh, or New Jersey, or Baltimore. But, like, just the fact that, you know, it is so close. Uh, like, it is, like, my backyard, almost. That is awesome, and I wish more movies uh, would do that, because I think we deserve some more love. Now, this doesn't necessarily paint small-town Pennsylvania life, with the most positive of brushes, uh, I think it's a very satirical look at the sometimes how boring uh, the Pennsylvania lifestyle can be. I think that this movie is really smart and it's really, really cool just to see even how it does that. And it does it in a way that is, it's funny and it's funny in a way, you know, that's almost like it's it's definitely not laughing with that lifestyle it's certainly laughing at it but it's done in such a way where i don't think it's disparaging uh and i do think that this movie has a really great love for pennsylvania uh the not cinematographer but the location scout certainly didn't i was so mad when i found out that this shot in uh, Woodstock, Illinois, not actually Punxsutawney, because I googled some pictures, and I was like, this doesn't look anything like the movie, and then I, you know, I looked up, you know, where was it filmed? Oh, freaking Illinois. Okay, well, no wonder. And there were even, like, houses in the movie where I was like, there's no way that house is in Pennsylvania. That looks like freaking Winnetka or something. There, like, there's no way. Or, you know, like, Naperville, and come to find out, yeah, it is, because it wasn't that far from those places, so... Eh, whatever, what are you gonna do? You know who else was mad, quick tangent? Uh, Punxsutawney. They actually were really mad that they weren't shooting in it, and they became so filled with rage. that They were like, well, you know what? We're not gonna let you use the real groundhog. (laughs) Like, oh no. Like, what are they gonna do now? Like, that's, like, the stupidest flex. Like, uh, well... I mean, you're certainly not going to be able to find another groundhog so special, or one that even looks remotely similar. Don't even try, unless you want to shoot here. You ain't getting Phil. Like, that's just, that's just such an odd threat, but uh, a pretty great one. Uh, Last but not least, this will take, like, a few minutes. No, like, one minute, uh, starting... Now, Dumb and Dumber. I love this movie. I have been watching it since I was a little kid. Uh, I had a friend come over the other day, uh, and we decided to watch part of it. We didn't get to finish it, but we got to to see about 40 minutes, and, I mean, this movie is still funny. It makes me laugh every time. We didn't get to my favorite joke, which is the part where he has that little, like, dream sequence where it's the whole, he's got a gun, and then he kills the husband. Oh, my God, that makes me laugh so hard, but I love the uh, the... I, I know I used this phrase earlier in the episode, but off-kilter is perfect for this movie. And uh, it's gross, it's weird, it's wacky, but I love it. And I will always love it. Jim Carrey is awesome. Jeff, Gain- Jeff Daniels is not as awesome, but he's still pretty cool. Uh, and yeah, I really love this movie. Maybe I'll devote an episode to it sometime. And...
Actually, that was a little less than a minute. I'm proud of myself. All right. So I would like to wrap this up. I was gonna, I was gonna have uh, a few more things to say, but I think I'm gonna save that for a bonus episode because uh, there was an update recently to my hosting platform that allows me to do uh, a few more things with how the episodes are titled and numbered and organized in the the different uh, podcatchers, and I think I'd like to experiment with that and see how it how it all kind of shakes out. Uh, but for now, I think it's about time to wrap up. But before we do. It's uh, it's grateful time. Now, this is kind of ironic, being that this was an episode about Fast and the Furious, and I know I kind of criticized them for their heavy-handed use of family as a as a theme, but uh, that's my grateful today. It's family. I, I like I said, we had a funeral recently that that kind of got in the way of some original plans, and that always sucks. And I don't really feel like going into it. I already exercised some of those demons a couple weeks ago. But um, it wasn't a funeral for the dog, in case you were wondering. It's it's a different it's a different thing. It's a family thing. But uh, but no, I uh, I I like I like funerals in a way, and I know that sounds macabre, but hold on, let me explain myself, because there's a certain thing of once you get past the um the you know the sadness and the actual service you get to like the reception and things where you are gathered together to you know you're you're obviously sad you're grieving and it's it sucks it's a sucky sucky time but you you know the fact remains that at the core of it you are gathering to celebrate a member of your family that meant a lot to you and to the family as a whole and that man that's amazing and i love that we mean so much to each other that we have whole you know whole days dedicated to to remembering each other and to understanding and really uh sort of closing the book on the the importance that you've had in someone else's life and i think that is oh man that's absolutely amazing i can't overstate how great that is. And so I don't like going to funerals. I don't look forward to them, certainly. But I like what they're about. I like what they represent. And I like that you can come together and the whole family is bonded by this kind of horrible experience. But it it certainly brings you together and it makes you appreciative of each other, I think. Uh, And certainly, sometimes things go bad. A lot of times... The fallout from uh, a death in the family after, you know, the ceremony is over, that's that's certainly, it's not favorable, but I do think that it's, it's, it's really amazing and it's, you know, it can't be overstated the importance of how much we care for each other and love each other, and I think that's really great. And I, I had my cousins over today, uh, and we were... You know, we're just chilling, we're just talking, playing some Aquapark.io. I'm a god at that game, by the way. Uh, you know, it's just no big deal, don't worry about it. Uh, but but then we, you know, we got in the pool and stuff, and we're just kind of chilling. And, uh, I mean, I don't really talk to them very often. It's, you know, it's kind of a like an awkward relationship. But, I mean, I had a really great time today, and that's super cool. Like, the value of family is, it's a lot. And sometimes it can get messy, sometimes it's kind of weird, but... I like, you know, I I love having that, you know, that love in my life. I'm really lucky to have that, and I'm very grateful for it. So, yeah, man, I'm grateful for family this week.
All right, so I really hope you enjoyed this episode. I know I certainly did. Uh, I'm sorry I had to put it off, uh, delay it a day, but I think it was definitely worth it because uh, I'm really proud of the way it turned out. And uh, I hope you enjoyed uh, enjoyed listening through it. Uh, if you want to keep up with me and get some some, albeit sometimes inaccurate teasers for for the upcoming episodes, you can follow me personally at Giovanni Andrioli twenty one on Instagram, or you can follow the show uh, at Movies and More Pod on Instagram. You can email in with any questions or thoughts you may have uh, at Movies and More Pod at gmail dot com. And uh, as always, I'd love to thank you for listening. And I, uh, yeah, man, thank you. Yeah, that's that's it. Thank you for listening. If you really, really like listening, I would encourage you to please, uh, where, wherever you're listening to it right now, if you leave a five-star uh, rating and, and, you know, type up a quick review, that'd be really helpful. Help spread the word about the show. I'm growing uh, sh- sh- slowly but surely. Uh, we've been picking up a few new listeners, nothing big, like one or two, but hey, it's progress and that's really cool. So I appreciate you though right now for listening and, uh, that's super awesome of you. Thank you again. I hope you enjoyed and, uh, have a great one. I will see you probably relatively soon. Bye. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, really soon. Bonus episode, bonus episode tomorrow. I promise. Okay. Tomorrow is the um the 6th i think august 6th so august 6th at some point there should be a pretty short bonus episode and so look out for that sorry kind of ruined the the serendipity of my episode uh wrap up but hey you stuck with me so far so what's a few more seconds right i thank you for listening uh see you in the next one tomorrow